Hello, welcome to One Degree Shifts. I am your host, Pascal Tremblay, and I'm the co-founder of Nectar. We're a psychedelic support ecosystem. And today we're talking to the lovely and amazing Marcy Moberg. She's a psychedelic integration guide, a Nectar guide, and a wonderful human that I've really been enjoying getting to know over the last year or so as we've started collaborating together. And um, yeah, just a lovely, compassionate person doing lovely work in the world and really honored to be able to have a podcast with her today. Hi, Marcy. Hi, Pascal. Thank you so much for that beautiful intro. And it's such a pleasure to be here with you. Likewise. Awesome. Today, we're talking about something that uh, is really interesting to me. And we're talking about relationship to medicine, specifically psychedelic medicines. When we spoke about this podcast, you talked about how passionate you are about centering on relationship with our medicines. Can you tell us a bit more about what that means to you? Yeah, this is probably maybe one of the central issues that I'm most passionate about. Um, I feel like it's a, a missing piece for a lot of people when they're going through plant medicine experiences and psychedelic experiences. And that is this understanding and this sense, an opportunity to understand the medicine that you're sitting with um, as a consciousness in and of itself, as a teacher, as having spirit. And in that way, developing a very intentional relationship uh, with that medicine, understanding that inside of a relational field, um, not only I, I feel yields different results from those experiences, but more importantly, creates different opportunities and deeper layers of meaning that can emerge for people. Um, and if anyone going into a plant medicine experience has a history where their relationships have been ruptured in the past, maybe in their family of origin, relationship was very difficult, then also relating to the medicine through a relational way can also be quite healing. To have an experience with a consciousness, a spirit, a teacher uh, that is actually good, that is nourishing, that connects us to our truth can also be quite profound. Mm -hmm. And you talked about before I really that term is right sizing ourselves uh, from ego to eco, uh, essentially widening the lens of our relationship by imbibing the medicine in such a way and developing a relationship to the medicine over time in that way really yields a lot of richer results is what I'm hearing from you. Uh, why else is this important for you to center our medicine in relationship? I think it's important to name that this latest quote unquote movement of psychedelics and growth in people working with psychedelics and plant medicines is not really new. This we're standing on, on a long history of uh, around the world who protected relationship with these medicines, who sometimes gave their lives, who went through persecution. And there's a lot of wisdom mm -hmm. in these traditions, primarily now held by indigenous communities in different parts of the world, um, where this relational nature to the medicine is centered in the process. I think there's a lot of, there's wisdom there. It's not by accident that we find that over and over again. So for me, it's not about 
a sense of cultural appropriation and trying to recreate something from a culture that is not our culture of origin, but rather recognizing that there is some deeper wisdom there in that understanding that there's that we're sitting with something greater than ourselves. We're sitting with some essence, some spirit that has wisdom. And the right sizeness, I think, is important because um, I mean, I think anyone inevitably on the plant medicine path, if they go through enough ceremonies, you will have those experiences where you are really humbled. You're really humbled and in a beautiful way where you can really locate yourself within the web of life. And I do feel like that relational nature with the medicine helps us do that because I would also say, at least from where I am based in the United States, people tend to be quite um, human-centric and sometimes even that in the relational field is not rich and is not healthy um, and have that relationship with nature and recognize that when we're working with these medicines, when we're sitting with them, uh, we're not sitting with just a molecule. We're actually sitting with a part of nature, which we are also a part of. Um, I also find that over time that brings us into a deeper sense of connection, uh, meaning, a sense of being a part of something greater, a sense of belonging, uh, which can be so nourishing and healing because that's inherent to how all of our ancestors really experienced life before and related to earth. It, it's This is like a very modern thing to be very human-centered and very, I would even say, mind-centered, not even engaging in our, in the relationship with the, our whole self. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean for someone to, and I would say the word interbeing comes up in terms of kind of defining what that means is you're part of the we and not just part of the you, and that's get really wide, including the, the entire cosmos as well. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean for someone then who's maybe been approaching psychedelics in the way that I'm just popping in medicine, I'm taking a dose, uh, which that relationship can feel uh, very practical or very like I'm using a tool and I'm just using it. But what does it mean for someone to shift that relationship then to exploring that interbeing, to exploring those wider relationships in a practical way? What would you recommend for people that are wanting to experiment with this a little bit more? Yeah, oh, I would, I want to say two things. I love the interbeing framework. I th that feels so spot on to me. So, so right. Um, it's this, this understanding that the life around us is animate. And so I think as a starting point, it's just being open to the possibility that maybe you're not using something, but maybe the, that actually there's something greater unfolding there. And how much, how much of you is really leading this process versus how much is it more of a we happening? I think anytime anyone sits with the medicine, it's very common for people to have an idea of what they think is going to happen. And then what unfolds is very different. Another way of saying that, that I always tell people is you will receive what you need from the medicine. It might not always be what you want, but it will be exactly what you need. So I think just number one, opening up to the possibility that there can, that there, that could be a possibility, that there could be um, 
a teacher, a consciousness, a spirit, however, whatever someone's framework is uh, that resonates with them, that there can, that can exist and that they could have a relationship and they can have a personal relationship um, with that medicine that they're sitting with. And then from that place, <clears throat> I would say <clears throat> in their preparation process, whatever that looks like for them, um, being open to being in dialogue with that medicine from the beginning, because also my experience is once you say yes, the ceremony already begins. It's, it's already mm -hmm. started. It's not really just about the day where we sit there. So I think those are maybe just some, it's some starting with a tiny shift in our perception and a tiny shift in our receptivity, openness to the possibility, and then seeing what happens. Then, of course, there are more intentional practices that can be built in from there, for sure. Yeah, it reminds me of when I think about this from a visual perspective, because I'm a visual person, I can imagine three types of relationship where one is the uh, person taking the medicine from a very egocentric perspective of, I'm using this pill, I'm using this dose, I'm using this medicine to empower myself. And I, I just have this very narrow vision of what that relationship looks like. And on the other side might be, oh, there's this like higher force out there that I'm subjecting myself to it and I need to surrender to it. And it's this omnipotent force in the universe uh, where the relationship is kind of top down heavy. Mm -hmm. You're relating to it in like an inferior way of like, I'm not part of this and I'm just being subjected to this thing. I hear the word surrendering a lot. Uh, but mm -hmm. Shiri, uh, our director of integration, talks a lot about the word co-creation as well, which is what I think you're referring to in this relationship of side-by-side, -side, of collaboration, of co-creation with the medicine and how that perspective can really help open up entirely di different avenues of, of insights. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Again, it's about right-sizedness, right? It's not about inflating our inflating the ego so much that there's nothing else besides us. And it's not about diminishing ourselves either, because really they come from the same root, right? They come from the same kind of unhealthy coping mechanism of our relationship to our worth and our self-esteem. So finding that right size, that healthy right sizeness and, and relating in a way to the medicine where we maintain our agency and then we're in that co-creation place we're in that conversation place right we're in that conversation place which i think can be mm -hmm. uh, really beautiful because then the medicine can become like a, a dear teacher in the sense that, that consciousness is very old right i mean we just look at biology plants and fungi are have existed on planet earth way longer than humans so there's that so in that way, they All are, hail are our mycelial overlords, is what I like to say. Because <laughs> I there, there are books out there that talk about the history of fungi, and uh, I forgot the name of the book, but it, it talks about how trees actually exist because they weren't able to grow roots before, and so the fungi would act as their roots as they were coming into Earth. And I am I'm just fascinated by the amount of intelligence that's part of that system of life, which is the largest organic living in the world yes exactly exactly well said and what a beautiful example right and so they are our ancestors and i also generally find that the plants when we come into this relational field there's a beautiful response to that right i mean it's like that in nature in nature we see that reflection of interbeing and everything the way that an ecosystem operates nothing operates in isolation and 
when there is that interbeing that happens, which is just organically happens by nature out in an ecosystem, like I live in the forest here, uh, none of the mm -hmm. trees have to say, I'm in isolation, separate from you, other tree species, or from you, mushrooms, or whatever that is, that you, if they're all interconnected, then then there's a there's something beautiful that can unfold there that can't unfold when that ecosystem is not happening. So it's like we're when we develop that relationship, we're kind of operating in more of a of an ecosystem rather than an isolation. And then in that ecosystem, there's so much more richness that can come through in our ceremony journeys, in our integration process. I think mm -hmm. we open ourselves up to more possibilities. And for folks who are also interested in experiencing more like transpersonal states, I also think it opens the nature for that because you're already relating in a transpersonal way from the beginning of the process by having a relationship with the medicine. It's, it's you know, having that experience outside of just yourself. Yeah. And we talked about right-sizing our ego earlier, um, but this relationship approach also right-sizes our own issues. Um, mm -hmm. So my background in mental health was essentially years of depression, uh, really dark depression where I felt like my reality was like a pinhole and I was like in the box and my whole reality was just a like, very narrow channel. And as I was able to do and have the privilege to do more work on myself, that pinhole has greatly expanded to a larger ecosystem and my issues don't seem so big anymore it really feels a lot more peaceful and easier to hold as well when i'm holding the scope of the whole planet and beyond when i'm on my good days and so i think right-sizing our own issues really is another benefit of approaching our medicine as a relationship yeah i completely agree right-sizing issues is completely right and there can be a right-sizing of issues that happens. This happens, I feel, like a lot with people with the relationship with their, for example, their family of origin. It's quite common that people in, in the plant medicine experience might, for example, be processing some of their trauma imprints and they have insights about their caretakers, maybe the experiences that their caretakers went through, and then maybe further insight into the ancestral layers of what's carrying there. And there's a different kind of then compassion that that unfolds there and holding for that person's individual suffering that they experience as a natural impact but then also uh, locating that within a bigger system of having an understanding of uh, of the, what unfolded in their household in a different way in addition to then what you're talking about, about those kind of concentric circles of, of understanding that there's always going to be, you know, by the nature of life, there's always going to be someone suffering more. There's always going to be someone suffering less. Nature of suffering and how that unfolds. I feel like when we go through these kind of plant medicine experiences and we relate to the medicine in that way, we can definitely have those insights of that kind of right-sizing of our problems and our challenges. But then there's also the other piece too of having right-sizing of resources. If we have a relationship with something beyond just ourselves, uh, the medicine, maybe we have experiences of our ancestors, we have experiences of the consciousness of earth, or we live in a forest and we feel the animate nature of the forest around us, then we also have an ability to have our system be resourced in a different way, uh, to have to feel like we have backing, we have meaning, we have support, 
Um, people will often describe in plant medicine experiences when they have this more relationship, more of a relationship with the plant medicine that they might feel like, gosh, I have this ally now in my life that I can feel is guiding me and supporting me. And that also can be really supportive to feel that, to feel held within a different container. Yes. And then the question is, am I able to receive all of that support? Can I say yes to it and lean into it? And that's been my challenge is the awareness of those things and their resources and also having a very strong brain protector that's like, no, I got this. I can do it by myself. And I think there's a thread there for me as well around having been brought up in a family where I had to use my brain a lot to thrive or to survive even was this resistance to a greater or a different level of intelligence that is out there that mm. is trying to communicate that is real and i had to spend some time on that one of this is when i was feeling into my first ceremonies of ayahuasca i was like it is real and it is here and it is around to hold us and love us but can i accept it that it's there in the first place but also accept it in my system uh, and that to me has been a big part of my healing path is just saying yes to all of that because we do live in a society that doesn't honor those relationships. We live in a violent, extractive, oppressive system that wants us to be small and in silos. Uh, and so I think that this relationship aspect to medicine is really tying into a larger global uh, growth stage of us really honoring those relationships and honoring the intelligences that are beyond the human. And so can you speak a bit more about that honoring of the different types of intelligence? We can call it spiritual intelligence, but there's also fungi intelligence, there's grandma ayahuasca jungle intelligence. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear more of what your, your story has been around that. Yeah, uh, so many. <laughs> I love your reflection about, yeah, the different intelligences um, I can say definitely I have had some very profound experiences that were quite moving for me. One I can think of in a plant medicine experience that was, you know, that I was in myself where I experienced the living consciousness of earth. And uh, those kind of moments are very hard to put into words, but it was really, really touching to me. And it felt like a connection that something very deep inside of me uh, always knew somehow, uh, but had never directly experienced. And it also was really healing for me, I would say, around eco-anxiety uh, in a sense of feeling like, okay, there is some intelligence here. There is a consciousness to this being. And it also uh, gave me a different kind of sense of stewardship towards the earth. Right? I feel like I already felt connected to the earth, but in a very, very uh, different way, having that kind of direct encounter with the consciousness that is earth and then developing, uh, uh, continuing to deepen my relationship with that and having that inform basic decisions from recycling to purchasing choices to all sorts of different things like that um, has a different meaning, has a different meaning. So, and it relieved some of my eco-anxiety, not to the sense of like, there's no problem. It's not, it wasn't that. It was yeah. it's hard to put into words. Like I could clearly feel the problem. I could clearly feel the grief of the earth. I could clearly feel the sense of, wow, humans 
went really sideways as a species and feeling that impact. But then also still like a sense of hope. Uh, there, I guess the feeling I had was like, the feeling I received was that there was like a, a forgiveness of this. There was not like a hopelessness. There was a sense of like, think, things can shift. Th things can still be unfold in a way that can be positive. Um, if human consciousness can start to wake up and being just one tiny point in that giant web, um, mm -hmm. there's like also a little bit of a release of pressure. So it helped me then start to look at instead of holding all, all the grief and because I kind of felt that in that experience of what was what that was like, somehow it shifted me to then be able to say, okay, let me acknowledge my own grief and then let me make choices um, accordingly also still with hope. I think something else I wanted to name connected with what you were saying is that also culturally so many of us are very hyper independent, right? It's baked into us that piece around not being able to uh, receive mm -hmm. or even integrate those encounters. Maybe we can have an encounter like that um, in a ceremony. We can have a sense of a relationship with the plant that we're sitting with or the earth or a tree or a planet or the cosmos. And, um, a lot of times as a, as our system might be organized in that kind of sense of feeling very hyper independent, because maybe that's how we had to survive in our home ecosystem, then yeah, it can take time to learn how to orient the system and make sure it's, it wasn't just a momentary experience. It wasn't just a idea that you take out of it, but rather that it's something that goes a little bit deeper and that shifts your soma, your body, your feeling, so that as you open up more to that, then you it opens up other layers. It opens up a deeper relationship with yourself. It opens up a deeper relationship with your partner, with your kids, with your loved ones. There's some there's like all these ripple effects that happen in that interbeing plane. Yeah, and I thank you so much for sharing because I really related to your echo anxiety story because I've also dealt with that for many years before I had this experience of, yeah, being taken around the earth and being shown the ecosystems and then Mother Earth telling me, don't worry, I'll be fine. And a gentle, compassionate tap on the shoulder and a hug. And it really changed my relationship to my echo anxiety and climate change in general. And I think climate change is not spoken enough about in general. But what it brings up to me, uh, well, first of all, it, it dissipated my echo anxiety to know that there's a greater intelligence that is beyond our understanding, that is beyond ourselves, and that is extremely wise and also at peace with what is, because not being at peace with what is is a very human thing that we apply to Gaia, I think. At least I did. I would feel the grief and the longing and the loss, but also really applying human feelings to a, a collective global level intelligence and consciousness that I think th there's a lot more to it than just that. And that gave me a lot of peace. And it also re reduced, uh, the question was, who's in really in control of this and do we need to be? Um, and in that moment, I let go of a lot of the same shouldering that you were doing around I it's a lot for me to hold and I need to hold it. And I think that's a very sort of individualistic, ego-driven perspective on this. No, we don't have to hold all of it. Um, mm -hmm. And it's very humbling also to be in the presence of something that's 
much greater than what who we are and being a part of it is so it gives me so much peace to know that we're part of this living beautiful planetary consciousness it relieved a lot of my stress let's just say that <laughs> yeah it's that right sizedness again right because the word that comes up for me is context i think a lot of times what unfolds in this relational nature with medicine is it, it opens up more opportunity for contextualization, right? So the, having the context of, oh, yeah, there's con there's a consciousness that is behind this planet and this planet is not carrying the same framework, perception, context that I am. There's something very different. And then locating, you know, being able to experience that and locate myself within that different context is so healing and that can happen around lots of different topics, but it's that contextualization, that different contextualization and um, contextualization in a way that it, you know, at least for me, it's always like, it would never have occurred to me otherwise, which is why I think there's the beauty of that relational nature that this, that there's no way that I would have come up with some of the <laughs> insights that come through for me on my own in ceremonies there's something greater and more beautiful and multi-layered at work there um, that i'm in contact with and that helps me contextualize my personal and global challenges in a very different way mm -hmm. I, I heard that the mazatec people have this saying go consult the mushrooms go have ca sacred counsel with the mushrooms bringing up specific questions to plants and fungi around what, what's challenging you and, and sit with it and actually bring the question up to the council. Um, and so you've been in a relationship with plants and fungi for quite a while. Um, what are they wanting to teach us? And what do they think of us? And like, how's, the, how's your experience been of consulting them? I'm just really curious about that. Well, I love that you brought that example because I would say that that's been my framework with the plants from the beginning, is seeing them as elders and councils and as friends and uh, as beloveds on the path of life that have more experience than me. Um, yeah, I've sat with lots of different plants, everything from an ordinary plant you would find in your grocery store, like chamomile to uh, more of a master teacher like psilocybin or wachuma. And I feel like over and over again, I'm just constantly blown away by how generous they are how loving they are and how willing they are um, to teach, to share, to guide, uh, to support, to help. And I think part of the, the let's say the currency, because I do think there's always a reciprocity cycle in there. I think part of the currency of the reciprocity cycle is, is that part of the currency is being in relationship because, you know, it would be rude to, to show up to someone's house and just take from them, right? J just eat their food and leave and have no relationship with that. You just show up at their door and like, hey, do you have dinner? Thanks, bye. <laughs> That's not acceptable <laughs> in the human plane. So it's not acceptable in the plant plane. So I do find that there is a reciprocal nature. I do find that sometimes plants have requests for me Sometimes the request is to integrate something that's been shared with me before they will share more. I remember I had a dream over the last couple of months where I was in a classroom and it was very clear it was a teacher that I've 
a plant that I've been sitting with on and off for a couple of years now. And, uh, and the plant was, kind of, <laughs> you haven't done your homework. You have to do your homework <laughs> uh, in the dream. And I knew exactly what they were talking about. And it was a sense of in that time in my life, I had, my mind was getting really occupied with other things. My attention had gotten drawn away from what I was taught and what I was being invited to integrate, like a way of being and a shift in a very important pattern in my life and, and how it showed up. And, um, and I took that. And that's also part of the relational nature is that kind of that a good friend, a good teacher, a good elder does that, that kind of loving guidance of, hey, by the way, <laughs> I shared this thing and I'm waiting for you to do something with it. <laughs> that's part of the agreement. Yeah. I think yeah, that also I... part of my sense is like part of why there is this relational nature and why the plants are so open to that is also part of this greater dynamic of bringing humans back into relationship with nature and Gaia. It feels, for me, that feels very clear and it always comes through time and time again, regardless of what plant I'm sitting with. That has happened so many times that it's a sense of we're here, we're sharing because we're here to try to wake humans back up into this relationship that was always there that has somehow gotten severed over time. Yeah, I think, and I love what you brought up around chamomile and I think my favorite practices for spiritual growth have been plant dietas I've done five I think now I did cedar douglas fir lavender tobacco and I'm forgetting one but they've been very powerful for me and you know they're not psychedelic per se but by approaching it if no one if someone out there hasn't heard about plant dietas you basically take the plant every day and you have practices of meditation connecting with the plant spirit for long periods of time sometimes up to a year or two years you develop a very strong relationship to that specific plant and they all have very unique signatures very different unique ways of relating they all have different things to teach you um they don't have to be from the jungle in Peru. They can be something that's available locally and might even be better if it's local because you can collect it locally. You can have it from the land you live on. There's a deeper relationship there. Can you talk more about that, that idea of, and I think it speaks to the ego mind as well and the excitement around psychedelics and plant medicine is that you need to go somewhere different. You need to have this big transformative experience that's going to blow your mind and bring you into the unicorn realms. But actually you can just have a plant dieta with parsley if you wanted to and develop some parsley medicine for yourself. And some people might think I'm joking, but it's true. You can totally develop a relationship to parsley and learn from parsley's spirit. And I, I am fascinated by what's possible with dietas and how much they've changed me and my family. They're quite powerful. They are so powerful. I love dietas. I also have done many dietas over the years. Um, my experience with plant medicine has been a little bit like the opposite, let's say direction of where most people go, which is a lot of people in this, who are on the plant medicine path, many will have started with uh, master plants, like sitting with psilocybin or wachuma or ayahuasca, and then maybe eventually they might explore other plants. And for me, it was the opposite. I spent a lot of time uh, with plants locally around me and trained as a plant doing dieta. Um, and then I continued that practice in my own way many times after that. And 
um, yeah, sometimes the most subtle things can be the most profound. Sometimes it's those experiences that are very subtle can give us the greatest insight, can create the biggest shift. I love dietas. I think they're a beautiful medicine. I love relating to plants locally in that way, orienting towards the subtle, because I think that's also very important medicine in this time where people are trying to move fast or trying to push transformation, you know, bigger, better, faster, trying to short short circuit, let's say, a, a process of their own healing. And, um, you know, relating to these other plants can really orient us towards the subtle. All that being said, though, some big experiences I've had in different ways have been with ordinary plants. One of the most profound experiences I've had is with uh, the plant yarrow, which grows native where I am and in a lot of places. And that plant taught me many things. And that plant was one of the first bridges to helping me understand, um, you know, plant consciousness. So I think it's, it's powerful and it also helps us develop a deeper relationship with the land. Then it's not so distant. If you have a relationship with a plant that grows locally with you, you can go out you can observe it. You can learn about how it grows. There's so much medicine and even just watching how a plant grows, learning about its ecosystem. There's a lot of insight that you can learn from that process, the conditions that and how it grows, the signature and how the flowers are shaped of the color. You can sit directly with the plant on the ground next to it. There's so many layers of relationship that can become really deep when we work with plants that are around us locally. Um, and then yeah. it's, you know, it doesn't feel like something so distant. It's like, it's always there for us. It's always as a resource. Yeah, my first dieta was Douglas fir, which is a Western North American tree that has a very, very strong bark that is actually fire resistant. And when I started working with Douglas fir, my, I was a very airy person, uh, very ungrounded, seeking all over the place, kind of being a bit of a a forest fairy a little bit. And I did my first dieta with this. Uh, this is the bark of that tree. This is an 800 year old tree in North Vancouver. They call it Grandfather Capilano. It's this massive tree. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. And it's part of this group of elders in that forest called the Sentinels. Mm. And I did my first dieta with this massive tree. And I hold this bark in my hand during podcasts to keep me grounded. And to keep me, mm. yeah, connected to the, the, the experience with the Douglas fir. And one of the things that the Douglas fir taught me uh, was that the plants speak a different language than we do. They speak the language of the heart. And that was a practice for me of helping myself go down to my heart more. And relating with the plant spirit from your heart really opens up the gates of communication is what I found for myself. And I think that's a, another part of the antidote of relating with uh, our medicines in this way is opening up our heart more and speaking a different language with the plants. Yeah, I agree. They, there's different channels of perception that we have. And many of us operate from just the channel of perception of just our mind our analytical, rational mind, but it's such a limited aspect of who we are. There's so much more there underneath the surface. And so I agree. I find that the plants have, um, for time, they have opened up my channels of perception and understanding 
information from them and then also just from myself like access as i have opened into deeper channels like my heart uh you know my body as a person who was born female into my womb space there's a lot of information there for me that's not is not in my head um so it is a very different way of being it's a shift into more of a listening and receiving versus a thinking and figuring out um and that also shift in how we just operate um, opens us up to different possibilities. So I agree. The plants do speak in different ways. If we're real, if we're focused on opening up to the possibility of being in relationship, it widens the aperture of what perception we can access, right? But if instead we're focusing in kind of more of a narrow allopathic way, I take this to have this happen, and that's what you're looking for. But actually, the plant is working with you on an entirely different, in an entirely different way. And for example, I don't know, let's say you're saying, I'm taking this to try to get more calm. And then you're take, you're working with that plant, fungi, whatever. And you notice that actually what's happening is the opposite. You might think to yourself, well, it's not working, but actually maybe the plant is bringing a lot of material to the surface for you a lot of inner content so that you can see what's blocking you from experiencing calm and inner peace um so it's a quite a big paradigm shift to be able to see that and if we can relate in a relational way we open ourselves up and we don't miss that and we don't think to ourselves oh kind of this i was supposed to take this for that and it's not happening so then nothing's happening but there's just likely so much happening but we have to open yeah. ourselves up to that yeah and you mentioned different channels that made me think of probably the most powerful dream I've ever had was during my dieta cedar. Uh, and I was having a, a, an issue with my partner and a, a, an entanglement of some sort. I was really stuck and I just, I didn't know how to logic or find my way out of it. And I was having a lot of challenges. And in that dream, I saw the cedar spirit approach me and just scream in my ear, literally scream. I've never felt such a powerful, powerful force in a dream before. And it, the spirit said, she is you. Mm-hmm. Basically, bring me back into this connection of everything between myself and the rest of the world. And that, you know, I won't share the issue that was there, but just the, the, that insight just dissipated the whole thing. And so dream world is another place where the plants can come in and really the larger world really come in, the spirit world come in and, and help guide us and teach us if we're listening And if we're tuning to it, and I like what you said about uh, the dream world, you said it's a continuation of the ceremony and Mm -hmm. it ties really well into the relationship piece. I'd love to talk a bit more about, uh, about dream work and the dream world and how it's so underappreciated and how it can be useful. Um, And you do dream work. uh, So I'd love to hear your relationship (laughs) with the dreams. (laughs) Yeah. I thank you for sharing that dream. It's what a beautiful, profound dream and what a great example of, what happens when we open to relationship uh, with the plants. Um, so many times people will say to me, well, I don't have dreams like, like you. And my thought is like, well, yeah, because you're not me. We're both different. We're going to have a different metaphorical inbox uh, for that world. And also, you know, if we tend the relationship enough, then something unfolds, it will unfold in its own way. And also so many times people will say that, but then when we look at their dreams, there's actually a lot there. I do feel like dreams are really underappreciated. They're so rich. 
I do see them as a continuation of the ceremony space. I do see them as the same place that we're accessing when we're in plant medicine, the same place that people sometimes access in very deep meditation, in shamanic journeying, sometimes in sound healings. There is this place that we can shift into where our perceptions are wider than just the concrete and we open up to more of the subtle. And the dream space is really powerful. The thing I love about dreams is that we're out of our own way. And I find that's so powerful. There's something about that then the ego system relaxes in a way that it allows a us to have sometimes unconscious material that we need to work with to come forward and other times um, uh, different support to come in like that dream that you had uh, with cedar i know that i've had plenty of my own dreams like that with dream with um plants you know, before my first sale so i've been ceremony i actually um was in build had been building relationship with psilocybin for a very long time through microdosing and doing that in a very intentional way and uh, inviting the medicine into my dream space. And, and one of the things I, when I started feeling this call towards sitting in a ceremony was I asked for permission and I asked for clarity from the medicine around whether I was reading the situation. Was it just my ego or was I being called? And that night was such a powerful dream for me in response. I had this beautiful dream where I experienced what they called themselves the Council of Fungi. And in that Council of Fungi, psilocybin stepped forward and told me, um, if you say yes to us, we say yes to you. If we say yes to you, you have to say yes to us. And it was this understanding that there's an invitation and there's also an exchange that's happening here. And what you're signing up for is maybe not what you think you're signing up for, which of course later was uh, this kind of contract I have with them for this work, <laughs> which I didn't know I was saying fully yes to, but, um, but I, you know, it's just an example that also it can happen outside of ceremony, right? I hadn't even sat with them in ceremony yet. And that relationship was there. Why? Because there was this consistent tending, this openness, this invitation, inviting them into the dream space, wanting to genuinely, uh, you know, learn from them. And why could that come in? Because my ego was not in the way filtering that but in the same way we mm -hmm. can also get um stern messages i've received plenty of stern messages from plants inviting me into waking up about something why well, i had a dream one time with a plant it was very clear it was a plant spirit and it stopped me in my tracks while i was walking on my path and it said stop being so small stop it and it shook me in the dream <laughs> nice <laughs> <was> coaching tobacco. <laughs> yeah. yeah tobacco is uh, yeah, I can get pretty stern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the dream space is beautiful. It's open and it can start by whether you've already done a ceremony. I think the beautiful thing is that it can be a, a place where you can continue that relationship. You can continue to sit with the medicine. You can receive additional clarity and insights around what came through in your ceremony. And, and it can just be this continuation of those experiences so that each night is almost like a, a mini ceremony for yourself, even though you're not imbibing the plant or fungi. Right. And every plant we talked about earlier has their own signature. Tobacco for me was very stern and very hard to connect with at first, but very 
grandfatherly love and wisdom. And Douglas fir for me was all about grounding and community and strength. And cedar was about balance and harmony and laughter as well and love and compassion. And lavender was just exactly what you would expect. It very sweet and very, uh, yeah, very beautiful energy to it. And so when you pick a specific plant to work with, and again, it could be something just around your garden, there's an intention there, I think, in the relationship building in terms of every plant bringing something new to your, to your life. And for me, I uh, relate to it. I have an A-team behind me now. I've got my team of plants with me and I can call on them whenever I want. And so it's a very powerful practice and that can help bridge into the dream world as well. And uh, for me, the dream world is, has always been a source of interest, but I also don't know that much about it. It's a, how do people relate to their dreams and how do they actually work with their dreams to move them forward on their path? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I always, as a place to start, I always encourage people <clears throat> to start documenting their dreams. It's like the number one thing that people generally don't do um, because of time and all sorts of things. Sometimes it's because people decide that um, a dream is not worth documenting. And I can't say enough the number of times that I have uh, done dream work sessions with people and I'll never forget this one time where someone came to me and said, I'm having these dreams, but like, I don't really think they mean anything. They're quite random. And I don't know, they have some people from my past and then this is about my work and I don't really see a connection. So I said to this client, the same thing I usually tell every person, let's start documenting them, write them down, hand write them down. Uh, when you recall them, if handwriting them down feels laborious, you can always uh, audio record them on your phone. You could always type notes, uh, whatever that is. Handwriting is nice because it accesses a different part of the your brain. And I find that's like a little bit stronger for recall. Um, and particularly documenting them in present tense is very important because when you document in present tense, it's as if you take your system back into the field of the dream and you are able to actually pull back a lot more details. That's really important. So in this case with this client, after they did that, um, that couple of weeks later, we got back together and sure enough, what they noticed is that even though the dreams seemed like they were reading metaphorically completely different books, what was linking all of them together was a feeling of feeling trapped. And once they figured out that, it started helping them recognize what was that, what were those dreams trying to say in many different ways and inviting them into to see and to resolve. Um, mm -hmm. So documenting is the first thing, I think, to be able to even notice it because also there's dreams that are, um, there are teachers in and of themselves, like that beautiful dream you shared about Cedar, right? And then there are dreams that are more like, you know, I tell people intuition, you can call it intuition, spirit, intelligence, consciousness, whatever that framework is for you. It speaks in long sentences. So sometimes insight, the wisdom, the message, the invitation in a dream is strung over many dreams. And that's the other reason why it's important to document them because then if you notice that, you might go back and notice that there's been an evolution of a dream or a theme or there's been a slow message kind of unfolding in your dream space. And without having 
documented them, you might not have caught it. You might have thrown it away as like, well, I had this random dream about my kindergarten friend and I don't know why they're there. Mm. But in, again, within context, within greater context, you're able to see more clearly what's unfolding. Do you think there's been a bit of a societal lack of strong relationship or a healthy relationship to dreams? Because for me, when I was growing up, I was being taught that dreams are just a mental construct. They're just random stuff. Your brain is doing garbage dumping, essentially, shoot out the night. And that's, that's still true. But indigenous people in many cultures see dreams as vehicles for spirits to come in. Do you think our relationship to our dreams is just a straight up reflection of our own relationship to ego, eco, and our own sort of addiction to our logical brain? Absolutely. Yeah, very well said. I think it mirrors a lot of what's unfolded and what we've been talking about a lack of relationship with plants, the ego, you know, earth, plant medicine. It shows up in the same way in dreams. And it is this disconnect for independence, isolation from the animate world that we live within and are a part of. Um, I find that people, when they come to me over the years, I've heard the same story so many times where people tell me that when they were a child that they would have, you know, maybe they might have important dreams and they weren't quite sure what they meant, but they had like a significant feeling to them or they might've had scary dreams and they had this feeling, this intuitive sense that there was like a, an unwell energy that was like in their space that they needed some support to clear. But the same messaging is pretty common. And the dream, the message is always, but it was just a dream, right? So I think as children are taught to dismiss their dreams and not to explore them. Um, and then we're taught that, yes, it's like a brain jump, dump, something that I think a lot of people hear is like, oh, it's just your random neurons firing. For me, I've had the absolute pleasure and honor of being able to have the experience of working with clients where, you know, multiple family members, for example, after a family member transitions, multiple family members have a dream on the same night where they encounter the spirit of their loved one in the same way. And mm. how do we explain that? How can that be neurons firing randomly? Um, those kind of experiences I have found happen a lot for people. It's just that we don't talk about them. We don't have a framework for them, especially around death. This is something that happens quite a lot for people. They will have these unexplainable encounters with their loved one after they transition. And, um, and something deep inside of them knows that they have had an encounter with spirit, with the spirit of their ancestor and their loved one an encounter with the spirit world. It feels like different in quality than other dreams that they've had, but then don't feel like they have a, a context, a framework for, for which to kind of hang that on. So I agree. I think we, we relate to them too narrowly. And then in cases where people are open to exploring the dreams, sometimes it's still too narrow in the sense that everything becomes psychologized or everything is a symbol or everything is an archetype. And again, my experience is, if you look at that, if I have a, you know, someone who comes to me and tells me that they feel like they have had a very direct encounter with a family member who passed, and then I tell them that is, you know, if I were to take on that framework and try to diminish that and tell them, oh, that's just a part of yourself, et cetera, it's so damaging uh, to something that is so beyond words.
as a, as an encounter. And it's very common for people to have at least one of these kind of dreams throughout their life where there is something that feels greater than them, unexplainable. They feel like they visited someplace or something visited them. And I think, you know, the more that we're open to that as a possibility, more of that animate framework, more of that kind of shamanic, spiritual lens, whatever you want to call that, of this possibility that the dream space can also be an encounter with the spirit world, with other realms, with things beyond ourselves, then there's more of an opening for possibility for that to unfold. Yeah, there's a lot more richness when you approach things that way. Um, and today we talked about relationship to plants and medicines. And by the way, I want to touch on that really quickly. When we talk about relationship to medicine, it's not just the literal plants and fungi. There's also a relationship you can have with MDMA, for example, or ketamine mm -hmm. or LSD. It's not the same type of relationship, but there is a relationship to the intention of the medicine and its representation in physical form. There is energy and a relationship to be had there. Can you touch on this that really briefly? Because I think it's important. Uh, I see this come up a lot with my colleagues who... Um, particularly those who work with MDMA, where that's something that, that unfolds for them, where there is like a sense, there's a sense of, um, there's a different palp palpitancy of like a different kind of energy in the room and, and that people are feeling in the field of that. Um, so, so yeah, that's absolutely the case. So absolutely, there can, that's the case, I would say that uh, people often describe that they feel that there's a different energy with them uh, when they're in, for example, the field of something like MDMA. And so certainly relating in to the medicine that you're imbibing with intention, uh, with a sense of relationship, with a sense of openness, um, something beyond yourself is, can only produce greater, I would say, therapeutic and beyond outcomes for people. Um, so it's really beneficial to do that. And yes, it's different. Um, but also, let's not forget that some of these uh, molecules that have been synthesized originally originated in plants. So mm -hmm. there's that piece too. Yeah. I love that you're stating the invitation for everyone who's listening around today or this week. Like, how can you widen your relationships and widen your relationship to those relationships in a way that can bring more intention and ceremony really and, and see what comes up and see what happens when you develop that uh, larger network around you. And it's a beautiful journey, a lifetime journey really of expanding what's, what, how, how much we can hold and how much we can relate to in a good way. And uh, yeah, it's a beautiful journey as well. Uh, thank you, Marcy, for sharing your insights today. And if people are interested in developing uh, deeper relationships with the medicines and the plants they can work with you as well with dream work and uh, we're launching some programs as well with you in the year i'm really excited about that and yeah thank you so much yeah thank you so much for having me pascal it's been a rich conversation and i hope people enjoy it as much as we have together yeah thank you so much be well and take care